Please join us with There is Power in the Blood, number 334. this morning Psalm 24 verses 1 through 5 the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof the world and they that dwell therein for he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord or who shall stand in his holy place he that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Mm. Amen. Yes, amen. And let's continue to worship the Lord, singing song number 90, O worship the King, all glorious above. Mm. 
Pretty powerful descriptions of God at the end. Let us pray. Lord God, we've come into your presence this morning. We know that you are always with us wherever we may be. But now we have gathered with the express purpose of laying everything else aside and focusing all that we are on you. We pray that you would help us to do that to just remove all distractions and and, and all that clings to us away, that your spirit would fill this place and fill each and every one of us, that we would be drawn closer to you, that we might become more like you. And as we leave, just please help us to be better witnesses to who you are, to everyone we encounter today and going forward. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And now, um, if we will all take our uh, bulletin inserts, uh, I don't think we've prayed this prayer of confession for a long time, but, but it's a good one. And in the spirit of everything having to do uh, with the three-in-one God, this is a Trinitarian prayer. Let us pray. Our Father... Forgive us for thinking small thoughts of you and ignoring your immensity and greatness. Lord Jesus, forgive us when we forget that you rule the nations and our small lives. Holy Spirit, we offend you in minimizing your power and squandering your gifts. We confess that our blindness to your glory, O triune God, 
has resulted in shallow confession, tepid conviction, and only mild repentance. So have mercy on us. In Jesus' name, amen. And I suggest we just take a couple of moments for silent confession. Amen. And the assurance that we have comes from the Apostle John, who wrote, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And now let's uh, worship the Lord, singing number 367, Fill My Cup, Lord. a good song. 
we should sing it and pray it all the time. And now uh, we will have the reading of God's word for this morning. Scripture reading this morning, there are two. The first one is Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzzah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thy iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here I am, send me. This is Luke 5, 6-11. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net broke. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the draught of the fishers which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto them, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. Amen. Amen. Now, uh, just before we go to prayer... When we pray together, hallowed or holy, be thy name. Let us be thinking about what we have heard about Isaiah and Peter and how they experienced the awesome holiness of God. And that's really what we're praying, that every day, every minute, we will experience God's holiness And that will keep us close to him. We need to have this kind of experience with God. It's not enough to just settle. Okay, so 
Where am I? All right. Let us pray. Three times, holy God, we confess that as a church, we have many times failed to live in awareness of your awesome holiness, power, and perfection. And as individuals also, I confess I have gone hours at a time caught up in whatever is having my interest, and this is at the expense of not experiencing your awesome presence. So please forgive us. And if we never experience you to the extent of Isaac, Isaiah and Peter, nevertheless, help us to always realize who you are, the infinitely awesome, holy God, and who we are, sinners, always falling short, and occasionally even doing iniquity, that which is unclean, according to your word to us. And we pray for our world, Greater Clinton, the state of Massachusetts, the United States of America, every bit as godless as the Assyrians of Isaiah's day and the Roman Empire of Peter's day. We can and should be doing something about it. We have the same commission of Peter and the original disciples. We must be making disciples of the people you have put in our lives by our testimony to who you are to us and by telling what you have done for us, all according to the truth that is in your word and in the power and in the love of the Holy Spirit. Also, please help us to stand for life, the life that is given in John's gospel, and morality, the morality of Deuteronomy, as we are led by you. And Lord, we pray for our church family, for Cindy, that she will get a good report in two weeks. Doris, that through the rehab she is undergoing, she will be able to come home and come and worship with us. We pray for Joe and his family, and for Allie and her family, Peter, Linda, Billy, their family, Kurt and Dory. Father, we pray for Ray and Nancy and Francis, and we pray that they are okay, and we pray for their extended families. We pray for Christine and Steve and Annie and their children and their neighbors and Lisa and their mother. Father, we pray for Ken. We pray for Elon. We pray for Norma and her family, and we really do miss them, Father. Uh, we look forward to the day when we will all be gathering here just, just freely. Um, there's very little in the way now. We know there's a little bit of a leftover. But, Father, please just convince your people of the importance of gathering together in your presence for weekly worship. And please help me to explain and to interpret 
and to properly apply the stories of Isaiah and Peter this morning. And three in one God, please be fully present in the sacrament as we partake of that as well. And now we come to you in the words of the prayer that Jesus left and taught to his disciples. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And before we dig more deeply into God's word, let's sing this um, really great song uh, all about life. Number 413, Living for Jesus. Master. Mm-hmm. 
heart shall be thy throne. My life I give henceforth to live. O Christ, for thee alone. Living for Jesus wherever I am. Doing each duty in his home. seated. Do we really know the vast difference between God and us? Let us all ask ourselves, when was the last time I could honestly say, God has taken my breath away. It is a blessing to experience the awesome perfection of the Lord. And it is doubly good to experience God's perfection in contrast to our own sin and our own unhealthy practices. We could biblically call them iniquity. Think of the most spectacular example that you have ever seen of God's creation. 
start with the things that are on earth. I'll admit, for me, it would be Yosemite Valley that literally took my breath away. It could be anything on this earth, even something you might have seen as small as something in a microscope. Or think of the vast heavens. Think of the sky. Is there anything you have seen there that has just put you in awe of the creator and his creation, maybe even in a telescope? Well, whatever it is that we have in our mind, it is a one on a scale of one to a hundred. And remember, God's not a hundred. He's infinite. Now, I was reading my daily for each day of the year, four times a day Bible reading Friday morning before I wrote this sermon. And if you go home and look it up, Psalm 76.4 in the RSV describes all I said perfectly. Now, in today's passages, both the prophet Isaiah and the apostle Peter, they have an encounter with the Lord in just such an overwhelmingly amazing way. Isaiah expresses woe because of the threefold holiness of the covenant God in contrast to his own unclean lips, his unclean speech. And Peter falls at the knees of the Lord Jesus after he and his companions, his two fishing buddies, had a catch of fish at the most unlikely time of day, and not just any old catch, the biggest catch they had ever had, all because um, Peter decided that he would obey a humanly illogical command from Jesus. Now, as both of these men were just humbled by the contrast between them and God, the result of this humility was that each man being brought low by this contrast between God and himself, he was now graciously commissioned by the Lord and sent out to people. Isaiah had a general sending, but we'll get to it in more detail later. Peter was specifically told, and this may be new to you all, that he was going to catch men alive or to life, meaning he would bring to them the good news that we can have life in Jesus. As John's gospel says, life that is eternal, that is abundant, and that is fruitful. And it's all in the three-in-one God. So now let's look at each of their stories. Let's start with Isaiah. Isaiah sees the Lord sitting on the throne with fiery angels calling out the threefold holiness of God. And he confesses his unclean lips. That's a quick summary. It begins when he says that uh, he sees the Lord sitting on the throne with fire angels calling out the threefold holiness of God. 
Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I skipped the main, main thing, which is that he sees him, confesses his uncleanness, and then being cleansed, he's forgiven and sent. Okay, let's look at it line by line. In the year King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw the Lord sitting on the throne, highly exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Okay, now notice, this is Lord, lowercase, O-R-D. That means that's Udonai. This is not Yahweh, the three-in-one covenant God. Okay, this is Jesus. If you remember in the Gospels, and I gave you the reference in Matthew, Jesus is arguing with the Pharisees, or they're arguing with him, and, and, and he's enlightening them. And he says, how come David called his son Lord? And then he applies Psalm 110 to himself. The Lord Yahweh said to my Lord Adonai, Jesus calls himself Adonai. So what's going on here? Isaiah is actually seeing the pre-incarnate Jesus in the temple. Now, I had to look this up. I should have known this. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of slow. But it talks about the train. The NIV says the train of his robe. I guess all royalty, monarchs, kings, the robe, there's a long piece of cloth behind it. And the longer the cloth, the more power that the king has. So this is the king of kings in the temple, okay? I'm a number nerd. I'm sorry I can't help myself. Bear with me. The holy of holies was a 30-foot cube. So this train would have been 30 feet wide. Now, how long was it? Well, it said it filled the temple, but you remember there's the throne and then there's all these seraphs flying above the throne. So I said, let's say it only stacked up for 15 feet. And let's say it was so thick it went back and forth six times per foot. Well, do the arithmetic, and this is a train 2,700 feet long. Of course, even that's not long enough for God. One more fact, Uzziah died in 740 BC. Continuing on with Isaiah's account, seraphs stood above him calling, holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. The earth is full of his glory and the threshold of the door to the holy of holies shook. And his voice, at his voice, the voice of the Lord, the temple was filled with smoke. So let's go through some of the important things. I don't know if you know this or not, but the word seraph means fire or fiery. So these were fiery angels. These are the angels that surround God's throne and they worship him and they just glow with fire. Now, if your Bible says Im, that's because that's Hebrew. They didn't translate seraphim from Hebrew. But if we put it in English, we're talking about fiery angels, plural. Okay. 
And now they're talking holy, 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 this threefold holiness of Yahweh of hosts. Now, host is the host of the vast army of heaven. It is pointing to one God and three persons. Okay. And he's over the army of angels. And I believe these angels are cherub angels. Cherub angels were more servants of God and pertaining more to the earth. If you remember in Genesis, after Adam and Eve were expelled, God put two cherubim at the tree of life with fiery swords to protect the tree of life so Adam and Eve couldn't go back there. And and there's a powerful description of what cherubim do in Ezekiel when he sees that sphere and the Lord is actually in it, there's cherubim holding up God's throne. They were the physical spiritual animals who did, animals, angels, forgive me, angels who uh, did God's work. Now, the power and the awesomeness of the three-in-one God is shown by his very voice as he begins to speak is shaking the threshold of the door of the Holy Holies. It's like there's an earthquake going on. And then glory, as opposed to holiness, glory means weighty and heavy, or full of splendor. Again, every word is adding to the awesomeness of what Isaiah saw. And then it says smoke filled the temple. Now where there's smoke, there is fire. Fire is present. And remember this, our God is a consuming fire. You may remember it from Hebrews But it's actually a quote of Deuteronomy. Remember what I said. Everything important flows through Deuteronomy. God is a consuming fire. So taking this in and experiencing this, Isaiah responds by saying, Woe to me, because I'm undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. He's exclaiming, whoa, because he knows his garbage mouth. I'm putting in slang what the Bible says about unclean lips. He knows that will cause him to be separated or cut off from God. Now, when he talks about living among a people like this, remember, God always calls his prophets out of his people. And people are people. So he has this flaw because the people around him, his peers have this flaw. But he says, notice this. It's really bad because I have seen the king. By this vision now, he has fully experienced the covenant God who is the commander of his army of angels. So as we come to the conclusion of the first part of this passage in Isaiah and what he experienced, in conclusion, notice the stark contrast between the glory of the holy God and the sin of the prophet and God's people. Okay, that's well and good. 
That's 2,700 years ago. We might be getting comfortable. But let's consider this. May we now be challenged to live in constant awareness of the awesome holiness, perfection, glory, and creative power of God. And why? Because this is reality. God's holiness and our sin. But thank God he does not leave Isaiah there. The second half, a fiery angel touches his lips with an altar coal, pronouncing his iniquity is removed and forgiving his sin. The Lord then sends him. So line by line, we're told one seraph flew to me, Isaiah says, in his hand, a glowing coal taken from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity has been removed and your sin is covered over. Once again, glowing coal and fire. God uses fire for cleansing. In numbers, after they had defeated the nations east of the Jordan River, God said, you may take all of their precious metals, but first, you must refine them with fire. Now, just two chapters before this, God had spoken a prophecy to Isaiah, and he said, with my fire, I promise that I will cleanse the remnant of my people. And then later in the minor prophets, around 450 BC, Zechariah said the same thing. God cleanses his remnant with fire. So he touches Isaiah's mouth with the flaming coal. And what is the result? This is beautiful. Isaiah's iniquity is removed and his sin is covered over. Now, covered over is kippur. Remember, Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. And if you look in Leviticus, there was always uh, an offering by fire on this day. So it all pulls together. Now, remember, we now know the ultimate covering of sin is because Adonai, Jesus, died on the cross. So we can sum up to this point the forgiveness and the cleansing that God provides. God sent this seraph to cover over Isaiah's sin. It's nothing but a gift of grace. And we also know he sent his son as the gift of grace to cover over the sins of all who will follow him in obedient faith. So let us take great comfort in this truth. The Lord Jesus Christ resolves the problem of God's holiness and our sin. Then Isaiah heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom will I send and who will go for us? And then he said, See me, send me. So 
over 700 years before the Lord Jesus rose from the dead and commissioned his disciples to go to the ends of the earth for him, he is seeking someone to go for him. He never changes. Now, he questions as to whom should he send and who will go for us. Perhaps another Trinity illusion. And Isaiah responds with a request that he be considered for the task. I love this. See me. Send me. Now that Isaiah has finally been cleansed by the Lord, he's qualified and ready to go wherever he is sent. When God sends, we will go. Now, coming forward to the story about Peter in Luke's gospel, after Jesus gave Peter and his partners a miraculous catch or haul of fish, he confesses his sin, and then Jesus tells him his mission. So first of all, and this is so similar to what happened to Isaiah, only instead of seraphs and all that was in the temple, this was in real life in their vocation. Peter and his partners catch enough fish in daylight to almost sink their boats. And because of this, Peter falls before the Lord, begging him to leave because he's a sinful man. So again, line by line, having done what Jesus commanded and catching a great multitude of fish and the nets were beginning to break. Now let's get the context. Let's go back to the beginning of this chapter. When Jesus commanded them to return to the deep water and let down their nets for a catch, he had already taught the people into late morning for a long, long time. So now it's almost noon. And every experienced fisherman on Galilee knows that in broad daylight, schools of fish can see a net, and they will turn away from it. It's a fool's errand to let down the net. But, and this is what's so beautiful, Peter says, Master, at your word, I will let down the nets. And surprise, a great multitude of fish was captured because you see, God does know more than men. They caught so many fish. The nets were beginning to break as they were trying to haul them into the boats. And so he makes a sign to his partners, James and John, in the other boat, come help me. And they filled up the boats and they were so heavy they were going to sink. Two ships full of fish. This was a catch of miraculous size. It had never happened before and it's good. That is, if they can get them to shore, and they did. Now it says, having seen this, Simon Peter, which means the hearing rock, Simon Peter says, 
to Jesus as he falls at his knees. So I imagine he went down on his knees and his head was now at the level of Jesus' knees. He says, go away because I am a sinful man, Lord. Now, because Jesus is Lord, he has much greater knowledge than the most knowledgeable of people. So what had happened was they had had this miraculous encounter with God. And now Peter, knowing for sure he's in the presence of the holy God, he confesses he is a sinner. So in fear, fear of what will happen to him for being punished, for being a sinner, he requests that the Lord just go away, go away. And why does he say this? Because he realizes God's holiness and our sin. And we're told because wonder surrounded him and all that were with him at the catch of fish they had taken Wonder. They were amazed and astonished. Okay, that was 2,000 years ago. What about us? When was the last time we were amazed and astonished like this? When was the last time something like this happened to us? So we're told about the inner three, Peter, James, and John. But now we get to the heart of the matter and the conclusion of everything. With a command and a promise Jesus forgives Peter and then gives him a mission and they all follow Jesus. And Jesus said to Simon, do not fear. From now, men, thou will catch alive. So Peter is commanded not to fear his sinful state. How can this be? Well, Jesus knows it will not undo him because Jesus will become the covering of his sin and the sin for all who live in obedient faith of him. And, you know, Peter learned this lesson. This came to me this week. I looked it up and it fits. He wrote this to God's scattered people. Above all, be having constant Love among yourselves, the love of God, because love is a covering of multitude of sins. And we go right back to what Isaiah in the covering, in the Kippur offering. We are to love with God's sacrificial love because of his sacrifice of love that covered our sins. And then Jesus makes a promise. Peter will be catching men alive. And this is what blew my mind. Many years ago when I was studying this to preach upon it, the word for catch is prefixed by the Greek prefix zo, which means life or to live. Now, this is really cool if you think about it, because fishermen catch fish for nutrition for people. The fish die, they're killed, and they're eaten, and they're consumed. But they will be catching Peter and the other disciples. They will be catching people into life. 
Life that is eternal, abundant, and ultimately fruitful. John's Gospel, chapters 3, 10, and 15. And then we're told, having pulled their overflowing with fish boats finally up on the land and having left everything. I wonder who got to enjoy all of that fish with a little fish barbecue later on. But anyway, they left it and they followed him. This is a radical turning point in their lives. But now knowing that their sins are forgiven, especially Peter, and that they are covered over, they all answer the call of God to catch people to life. And that call now is for all of us. And when God calls, we will go. Let me just quickly summarize these stories. When Isaiah sees the Lord sitting in the temple and hears of the threefold holy perfection of the covenant God, he's undone by his unclean lips. Then a fiery angel cleanses him from the altar and his iniquity is removed and he answers the Lord's call to be sent. Whom will I send? Send me. See me, send me. Similarly, after Jesus provides an awesome catch of fish, after Peter obeyed his command to do what experienced fishermen know is a waste of time, he falls at Jesus' knees, begging him to leave him because he's sinful. You see that in both cases, the contrast, God's awesomeness, our sinfulness is felt. But Jesus commands Peter not to fear. Your sins are covered. And he promises Peter that man he will catch alive, that all of his disciples will be man catchers to life. And this finally in Jesus is the grace that reconciles God's holiness and our sinfulness. And now, before we have communion, let us sing number 265. Let us break bread together.
a few weeks ago, we looked in depth at mercy. If there is anyone who has not yet gotten a communion kit, um, now is the time to go and get it. Everybody all set? Well, then uh, let's take our bulletin inserts and do our communion responsive reading. The table of bread is now to be made ready. It is the table of company with Jesus and all who love him. So come to the table, you who have much faith, and you who would like to have more. You who have been here often, and you who have not been for a long time, And you who have tried to follow Jesus, and you who have failed, come, it is Christ who invites us to meet him here. Loving God, through your goodness, may we know your presence in the sharing, so that we may know your touch and presence in all things. We celebrate the life that Jesus has shared among all his community through the centuries and shares with us now. May one in Christ and one with each other, we offer these gifts and with them ourselves a single living act of praise. Amen. And now, before we partake, let us pray. Holy Lord God, by what we do here in remembrance of Christ, we celebrate his perfect sacrifice on the cross and his glorious resurrection and ascension. We declare that he is Lord of all. And we prepare for his coming kingdom. We pray through you, Holy Spirit, this bread may be for us the body of Christ and this cup, the blood of Christ. Accept our sacrifice of praise as we eat and drink at his command. Unite us to Christ as one body in him and give us strength to serve you in the world. 
and to you, one holy and eternal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we give praise and glory now and forever. Amen. And now let us partake of the bread and the cup. Jesus' mission on earth was to cleanse us and to cleanse us for a purpose. And now that we have washed ourselves anew in the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, let's sing for our final song. We've a story to tell to the nations, and that's the only reason God is leaving us on this earth right now is for us to tell others about what he has done for us. Number 524. Yeah. 
Our benediction comes from 2 Corinthians. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore also, we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are manifest to God. And I hope that we are manifest also in your consciences. And now for our final song, in view of what all the seraphim were saying, we will sing number 83, Holy Ground. Now 